Welcome to Nativ's uh, Center for Torah Study, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Adam Itamar. Uh, you can just call me Adam or uh, anything but late for supper. <laughs> anything but late for supper. <laughs> so um, we've been studying the laws of uh, idolatry from the Rambam uh, for several months now. Uh, I thought today would be uh, nice to have a change of pace. Um, my daughter recently came in from Israel. She's going to school there. She's been visiting for a few weeks, and she flew out this morning. But uh, fortunate, fortunately for me, she brought me a nice gift. Harav uh, Ovadia um, Yosef, a blessed memory, he wrote a commentary on the uh, book known as Pirkei Avot, The Ethics of the Fathers. So um, I started reading this book because... Uh, you know, we love to study Pirkei Avot. There's so much wisdom in it. But uh, I found this in the preface of the book, and I thought it would be very apropos to what we're learning from the Rambam and, of course, uh, you know, what the mission is here for Nativ Center for Torah Studies. So uh, we're going to call this learning session, uh, Is There a Place for Non-Jews in the World to Come? Uh, this is often talked about without clarity. Uh, uh, we're talking about uh, the world to come, uh, the afterlife, you know, uh, the resurrection, and so on and so forth. Is there a place for righteous non-Jews uh, in the world to come? So, again, this is excerpts from Rav Ovadia Yosef, his uh, commentary on Pirkei Avot. Uh, with sources, and this is going to help us to understand, I think, um, and gain clarity on what is the place of the Jew and the non-Jew in the world to come, and what that, what that entails. So, uh, when we study Pirkei Avot, the ethics of the fathers, uh, before every chapter, there's a, a little paragraph written, and it says that all Yisrael has a portion in the world to come. Uh, this is text from the Mishnah, but it derives from the prophets. Uh, Yeshayahu, chapter 60, verse 21, it says, And your nation are all righteous forever. Will they inherit the land? They are the outgrowth of my planting, the work of my hands, in whom I am glorified. So that's the word of Hashem through the prophet uh, Isaiah. So the sentence, all Yisrael has a portion in the world to come, is derived from the Mishnah Sanhedrin 10.1, and it is used to preface, as a preface to study each of the chapter of Pirkei, chapters of Pirkei Avot. So the word all, all Yisrael, comes to include righteous non-Jews. Okay, so uh, when it says all Yisrael, that's including... Uh, Kohanim, kings, Levites, um, standard Israel, uh, Israelites, and B'nai Noach. That's what uh, Rav Avadi is telling us here. So all, the word all comes to include righteous non-Jews who also have a share in the world to come. This is evident from the end of the same Mishnah that lists those individuals who have lost their share in the world to come. So, um, there's a few individuals that we read about in the Torah that are non, not Jewish, that the Mishnah uh, condenses down and explains that uh, the Torah says they don't have a portion in the world to come. 
So if these non-Jews don't have a portion in the world to come because of their wickedness, Rav Avadya is pointing out here from the Mishnah that obviously righteous non-Jews have a portion in the world to come. So uh, among these is uh, Bilam. You guys remember uh, Balak and uh, Bilam, Balak, the king of Midian, he hired uh, Bilam to go and curse the Israelites while they were in their 40-year journey. Um, but uh, we know it didn't work out too good for him. <laughs> Not only did he lose his place in the world to come, he lost his head. So, um, so among those is Bilam, who was a non-Jew. Rambam explains that had Bilam been righteous, he would, uh, he would indeed have had a portion in the world to come, although he was not Jewish. Um, some of the sages explain that, uh, that had Bilam been righteous and handled things the proper way, uh, he would have been a greater prophet than uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. So uh, that's a big deal. Uh, so where Moshe Rabbeinu was the prophet to all of Israel, uh, Bilam, if he would have done things properly, he would have been the prophet to the rest of the world. But, of course, like we understand, he uh, turned down a wicked path and uh, chose, to get, chose to go against the will of Hashem. So uh, the next uh, paragraph says that uh, the Midrash, uh, Yalkut Yeshayahu 429, interprets the verse uh, of the Psalms, uh, 132.9, Let your priests be clothed with rectitude and let your righteous ones sing praises. So as referring to the righteous among the nations of the world. So when it says, let your righteous ones sing praises, it's referring to the righteous among the nations, the B'nai Noah. More, moreover, Tanah Debei Eliyahu, chapter 9, states that God says, I will call upon heaven and earth as my witnesses that any person, whether a Jew or non-Jew, a man or woman, even a slave or maidservant, the divine spirit will rest upon him or her according to his or her actions. So what it's explaining here is that what a person does, whether he's Jewish, he or she is Jewish, non-Jewish, if they live a righteous life, then the tangible presence of God, the Shekhinah, will rest upon them. Uh, that's a big statement. Um, that's a big deal. Um, so there's no differentiation here concerning righteousness. A person who lives a righteous lifestyle, according to what Hashem says is a righteous life, He will cause His presence to rest upon them, which is amazing. I mean, what else could we, what else could we ask for? Furthermore, the Gemara states from uh, Sanhedrin 59a, even a non-Jew who studies the laws of the seven Noahide mitzvot, is akin to the high priest. Elsewhere, the Gemara states in Hulin 92a, there are righteous individuals amongst the nations of the world in whose merit the world exists. So, um, we, learn, we learn from the sages there are many different things that hold up the existence of the world. We've learned that uh, Shema being recited keeps the world going, uh, gives the world the merit to exist or humanity to exist. Um, Torah study, people that are engaged in Torah study, 
people that are doing random acts of uh, kindness, known as Gimilut uh, Hasidim, so on and so forth. Here, we're learning that righteous non-Jews, known as B'nai Noach, that, that their practice of righteousness merits the world to exist. So, without righteous non-Jews in the world, uh, it would take away one of the aspects of the world even being able to exist. Um, I've never heard that before I read this, so it was very revolutionary to me. Um, not that I wouldn't think uh, anything about righteous non-Jews. Of course, there's such a big place, but to say that the world exists on the merit of righteous non-Jews, that's a big, that's a big one. Okay, so the share of the righteous non-Jews in the world to come refers to their existence in the future era of Tehiyat HaMetim, which is the resurrection of the dead. This is evident from the Gemara's explanation of the above-mentioned Mishnah, which states that a person who denies the reality of Tehiyat HaMetim, or the resurrection of the dead, has no share in the world to come. So uh, that's from Sanhedrin 90a. It says, uh, he denies the resurrection of the dead, therefore he will not merit to arise at Tehiyat HaMetim, or the resurrection. Okay. So this is what, uh, when, it say, when it's saying righteous non-Jews inherit a share in the world to come, it literally means the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, we had a, a teacher visiting a while back, and he spoke for, uh, this is a couple of years ago, uh, the question came up, there was uh, a family here, they're uh, still part of the community, of course, but um, unfortunately one of their, uh, the father had passed away, and there wasn't clarity on what happens in this situation, and um, there was a whole discussion about do non-Jews merit the resurrection. You guys remember that? Um, so this brought that back, and it brings just a short explanation here, brings so much clarity. When it says non-Jew, righteous non-Jews inherit a place in the world to come, it's specifically talking about the resurrection. That's, uh, that's excellent. So, however... There is another sphere of existence known as the world to come, which is other than the resurrection of the dead. So it's like another dimension. Uh, it's referred to as the Olam HaNeshamot, or the world of souls. So this is a spiritual realm where the righteous gaze upon the pleasantness of God and sojourn in His palace. Um, our uh, Hazal, or the Sages of Blessed Memory, described this with the statement from uh, Barakot 17a. In the world to come, which is uh, Olam HaNeshamot, the world of souls, there is neither eating nor drinking, neither procreation nor business dealings. Rather, the righteous will sit with their crowns upon their heads and enjoy the brilliance of the Divine Presence. As the verse states, uh, Shemot, or uh, yeah, Shemot twenty four eleven. It's Exodus twenty four eleven. Uh, they perceived God and they ate and drank. So what is it, what is this getting at here? <laughs> uh, 
the sage is saying in this world of souls, there is no eating or drinking or procreating or anything physical. So why is the Torah saying they perceived God and they ate and drank? It can seem contradictory. It's directly saying they ate and drank. But it means, but it's not contradictory. The meaning is that they were sated by their gazing upon the divine presence as a person who eats and drinks. Um, the corporeal or physical body does not enter this realm. Only the souls of the righteous sojourn there. Therefore, nothing pertaining to bodily needs is present there. So, uh, clearly, this is why it's called the world of souls. Uh, it's not a place of physicality. So, we understand eating and drinking has to do with the body. Um, we elevate it through uh, uh, saying blessings, before blessings and after blessings, the food, the eating. But in all reality, without the body, there's no need for food or drink. So, uh, yes, this would absolutely be before the resurrection of the body. It's a good point. <laughs> very, very important point. Um, so this place... Yeah, this place would seem to be a place where only souls of uh, departed ones of the righteous would be, whether Jewish or not, doesn't matter. Uh, a righteous person uh, has a share in the world to come, known as Olam HaNeshamot, where, where a person's soul uh, is there basking in the palace of Hashem in His presence. Uh, and the soul is therefore satiated as if um, in the natural world where you would eat and drink and be satisfied like at a banquet, it's, uh, it's that satisfying or even greater to be in the world of souls. So there's two things here. Inheriting a place in the world of souls and then also inheriting the resurrection of the dead. It's uh, amazing. So... Um, Rav Ovadia, I don't know why he started out the, the preface this way, but it's very poignant, uh, very important. And uh, from my perspective, uh, being part of um, the, the community of righteous non-Jews and being part of the community of Jewish people, uh, it's revolutionary. It clarifies so many, so many questions. So... Uh, Is it possible to have that you can merit one and not merit the other? Uh, based on this text, it would uh, it would seem not. Okay, because um, all of the deeds that a person is judged on, from from what I understand, on a simple level, a person is judged on on their deeds that involves the combination of their body and their psychological aspect, which is the lower. What, the, the lower part of the soul, basically. Uh, we're not cognizant of the higher parts of our soul. Um, more or less, we, we're not in touch with our uh, neshama. Uh, e um, even people that go into uh, deep hypnosis and all this, it's uh, almost impossible to bring that out into the physical, um, from what I understand. Now... The, the nefesh, the lowest part of the soul, is like uh, where you have uh, animal drive to eat, drink, sleep, uh, procreate, 
use the restroom, um, the things that most people involve about 90% of their decision-making capacity on. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? I'm hot. I'm cold. You know, going here, going there, sleeping, waking up, all these things. Um, the second level is, uh, they call, it's called the, the Ruach. Uh, and then you have the, the Neshama, which is the holy part of the soul that Hashem breathed into man, uh, more or less. This is a simplistic explanation. There's a lot more to it. Um, when a person is, uh, has this Ruach portion activated, it's a connector between the two, more or less. So the things that we, that we choose to do uh, to follow the path of righteousness, which means we're taking control of our animal nature and elevating it to a higher purpose. So like the sages say, um, when a person is, uh, is not doing what he was created to do, he's lower than a gnat. And a gnat is considered the smallest of all living creatures. The gnat... Um, it only uh, eats. It doesn't defecate. So the gnat only eats and eats and eats, and it has a very short, short lifespan. It's very small. It eats and eats and eats until it dies. So it lives, eats, reproduces, and dies. So when a human is not doing what we're created to do, it says we're lower than that because even the gnat is doing what he's created to do. But when we are doing what we're supposed to do, as human beings, the sages say that we're higher than the angels because angels angels are the holiest creatures that Hashem created by nature. So they maintain the highest level of holiness. Animals maintain a high level of righteousness because they do exactly what they're created to do. When we do exactly what we're created to do, we're elevated above angels simply because we're choosing to walk the path of righteousness and holiness. So that puts us a notch above an angel because he doesn't have a choice. He's simply created to be a holy creature. Same with an animal. Animals are created to be righteous. They don't have any concept of who is God or holy things, but they do exactly what they're created to do. When we live a righteous life, we're, of course, greater than an animal. When we don't do it, we're lower than an animal. And obviously, we'd be lower than an angel. But we have, on the two ends of the spectrum, we can go really low or really high. Uh, so a person, back to judgment, a person, whenever they pass away, uh, I mean, there's, there's a concept of, of reward and punishment here in the world. But the main concept of reward is in the afterlife. Um, reward or judgment if you would. So a person is judged on the deeds that they're cognizant in. In other words, accidental things, there's not as much judgment on that because if you don't know that you did something wrong, uh, how can we be held to the highest level of accountability? So uh, when a person, for example, um, their body does something wrong, for example, on Shabbat, um, Hazal commanded the Jewish people uh, fr from the Torah, Hashem said, don't uh, light a fire or extinguish a fire on Shabbat. So Hazal commanded us 
not to, in the modern times, not to turn on and off a light switch. Because it makes a spark, and it, it, a spark ignition source. So let's just say uh, I'm walking around and what, a uh, busybody getting everything prepared for Shabbat uh, for our guests. It's after dark. Shabbat started. And I trip over my feet, fall against the wall, and turn the light switch off. That's not cognizant. Um, so did I do that on purpose at all? No. Um, was it even avoidable? Probably not. So there's really no room for uh, much judgment there. But on the other end of the spectrum, if God forbid that someone would say, well, I don't care about, <laughs> I don't care about, I need this light turned off and walk over. It's just a light switch. What's the big deal? Uh, blam, turn off the light switch. Uh, physically and mentally engaged, there might be a little bit more room for judgment on that part. So, uh, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but at the same time, there, <laughs> there may be room for judgment there. So, basically, it's not so simple to say uh, a person is righteous or unrighteous. It takes a combination of the body uh, and cognizant um, involvement of, what do you say, uh, thinking, uh, knowingly thinking uh, and engaging one's thoughts and mind and decision-making process in doing the avira or the sin. Um, intention, thank you. The kavana, right. The kavana or intention has uh, a lot to do with it. And there's things that are in between as well. Um, there, there's, what do you call it, uh, a person A person knows there's a light switch. I'm using a light switch because it's simple. A person knows there's a light switch there and is uh, just rubbing along against the wall and is negligent and doesn't pay attention and going down and knocks the light switch, turns it off. That's one of those middle ground things. Is he going to receive extreme judgment for it? Probably not, but at the same time, because he was a little negligent, he needs to stop and think about, wait a minute, why did this happen, and what can I do to make sure it doesn't happen again? Um, things like that, like uh, something that's easily that happens easily, leaving the light switch on in the bathroom and not taping it where it can't be turned off because you go in the bathroom early in the morning on Shabbat, you're not thinking so much because you're going in there, but at the same time, you know you're not supposed to turn the light switch off and you go to walk out, blam, oh no, I turned off the light. So, I don't know why I'm stuck on the light switch, but... <laughs> Too much coffee. Okay, moving on. So, anyhow, that's all the text that I had for today.